Petronas Premax 97 with ProRace has been developed with a formulation that's only unique to us, utilizing the world's first advanced dual friction modifier. Choosing Petronas Premax 97 with ProRace would also mean you're making a conscientious decision to help reduce carbon emissions as the fuel is more efficient. Besides delivering more power responsiveness, the power is out there, the choice is yours. Listen to the full interview with Azrul Osman Rani, Managing Director and CEO of Petronas Dagangan Berhad, over on BFM.my. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Matt Splain. And usually the first show of the year is when Matt Splain gets a seasonal visit from Future Matt, a pan-dimensional creature, not unlike Star Trek's Q, and about as trustworthy. Uh, well, I'm sure he'll make a visit to the show at some point, as we've already lived through what seems like one of his dystopian nightmares in 2020. We're going to ease you into this new year with another collection of slick science stories. Matt, it's not like you to put off the apocalypse. Hey, Rich, and Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, you know, admittedly, the quality of mercy is not one with which, you know, I'm overly blessed. But I felt a, a certain calling to do this episode because of a very important scientific breakthrough. Now, comic book fans might want to sit down for this one. A company has developed a real Spider-Man style web slinger. Uh, yes, this is the power of the 21st century. We can now all walk around with modifications that allow us to swing from buildings and cocoon anyone who annoys us at meetings. Now, I assume you're joking with this. Well, I am, but only a little bit. Uh, Nanomedic, a medical tech company in Israel, has come up with a product called the Spin Care System. Now, it's not for swinging from trees, unfortunately, although you could probably use it in uh, meetings, but that isn't what it's been designed for. On one of our earliest shows in the era known as uh, BM, before Matt explained, we discussed efforts to create synthetic spider silk as a material to use for uh, the wounds of burns victims. Mm. So it would be something that would cover a wound, it would be strong, but also highly malleable so that the wound and limb is still flexible, which can be very important if burn scars are to heal properly. So according to one of the company's distributors, and this was reported in The Guardian, the spin care system is a contactless device and it fires a clear protective mesh that mimics the skin and allows patients to move easily. It's waterproof so they can shower. It's also translucent. And I know that makes it sound a bit grim because the wound is on display, but that makes it very useful. It means that medical staff can view the wound and see how it's progressing much more easily. It's also in line with new thinking that suggests changing dressings less often is actually better for recovery. Is there anything else that's cool about it? What? The Spider-Man thing isn't enough? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, the, the gun has a, a laser pointer so that you know where to aim it to, to get a burst of web skin. Now, that might sound like overkill, but it could help people changing dressings on their own at home, for example, because that can be quite nerve-wracking. It can also be a painful experience for people. Now, the most obvious application for the product is burns. Nanomedic's promotional videos suggest it can be used for any kind of wound. And of course, that no-touch application 
also reduces the chances of cross-contamination. So early feedback from hospitals seems to be positive. It's been used for facial wounds where dressings are often difficult to apply and also on the kind of persistent foot wounds that uh, diabetic patients tend to suffer from. Mm. For burns, uh, its effectiveness, uh, as is noted by the company, tends to be for superficial rather than uh, deep burns. So obviously it isn't spider silk. So how is the skin made? Again, from the the Guardian, it uses a technique called electrospinning. Now, this isn't new. The technology has been around for a while. It involves using electricity to create nanofibers from a solution. Nanomedics device and application, uh, it's smaller than the large electrospinning machines that have been available up until now. And Mm. that makes it a lot more portable. It allows it to be used uh, in a lot more situations, it, it makes it a much more flexible device. I hope we haven't peaked too early. Uh, there can't be too much news around at this time of the year, surely? Well, thankfully, science doesn't take holidays. Uh, 2020 was a year where we became much more aware uh, of the way we smell, or rather, hmm. we started to care less about how we smell and more about that actual sense of smell. Because one of the early signs of COVID-19 infection for a lot of people is a loss of smell and sometimes taste as well. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't have much of a a sense of smell. It's floated in and out since I was a kid. But I was always kind of obsessed with the idea of those scratch and sniff cards that they used to give away with, uh, with, with comics. You must remember those, right? I do indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they, they almost uniformly smelled terrible, but I guess that wasn't the point. You know, it was the idea that these little cards were supposed to enhance the story you were reading, but none of those smell technology systems has ever really worked out. So given that record of failure, I was surprised to find that people are working on 21st century smellovision portable scent systems, or rather not so much surprised that they're trying it, more that finally... They seem to be having some success. So, all right. In terms of obsession, uh, obsession, it seems a bit like flying cars, great idea, uh, terrible realities. Now, you mentioned Smell-O-Vision, which was unveiled as a cinema technology in the late 1930s. Why do we keep trying it despite the failures? Well, look at all the amazing digital technologies that we have. You can go to to movies or experience virtual reality, and there are haptic sensors in chairs and gloves that add touch to that feeling of sight and sound. You can eat or drink something and engage your taste receptors, but Mm. there's always a sense missing from that experience and that smell. Mm. And we talk about the subtleties of perception. You know, one of the reasons that realistic humanoid robots worry us is because it's still so obvious that they aren't human. Even those tiny discrepancies, you know, give us the willies. With TV, virtual reality, movies, games, we're lacking an entire sense. So that's bound to create a barrier that affects how immersed we become in those environments. And what does 21st century smell-o-vision look like or smell like? Well, uh, a company called Centatrix in Holland has created a prototype device. The company has uh, some form in smelling. Uh, According to the BBC Future website, they've already created a a novel perfume printing machine. 
Essentially, it's a 3D printer for fragrance uh, using an algorithm, of course. Of Customers course. fill out uh, a questionnaire and the machine prints a custom scent for them. Uh, I think my scent would probably be, I don't know, tea bags and, and damp socks. What would your uh, custom scent uh, smell like? I don't think much better. It would probably be Dorian and something to do with cats. So not, not exactly pleasant. <laughs> not the most attractive combination. <laughs> now, the, the company wants to use the same technology to provide mobile smells. So they're working on a kind of necklace pendant type thing that you wear around your neck and it wafts smells at you. Uh, Frederick Dernick, the man behind the idea, envisages all kinds of uses. Uh, he thinks it could be linked to an app on your phone. So you could program it to play different smells at different times of day. You know, we know that uh, smells trigger memories and associations, so it could potentially be used as a mood-enhancing aid, pepping you up and calming you down as necessary. But you can also imagine the commercial applications, you know, walking through the supermarket and as you pick up that chicken tikka masala ready meal, God, my tastes are so English, uh, it sends a, a blast of the meal to your nostrils. But you could use that same effect as well with um, entertainment in games and multimedia. So mm. you could be smelling the shows you watch. Although, as I watch a lot of zombie type shows, maybe that's not such a great thing. Yeah, uh, maybe you should start watching a few more cooking shows, Matt. Now, wouldn't it become a bit overwhelming, the smell of every single thing in a show? Well, the same BBC Future piece uh, quotes a filmmaker called Grace Boyle, who runs an immersive video production company called The Feelies. She maintains that uh, smell shouldn't be a novelty, an, an add-on. So when we look at a lot of the 3D movies we've seen over the years, some are conceived with that third dimension from the start, whether, mm. whereas others are kind of post-produced to make some of the elements pop. And those tend to be the ones that fall flat because it's being used as a gimmick rather than as a plot device. So Ms. Boyle argues that smell should be scripted, storied right from the start. You know, don't go for the obvious hits. Don't make the theatre smell like a coffee shop because that's where that particular scene is set. You can use smell to uh, heighten tension, for example. Uh, a, a signature smell when the villain or the monster is on screen is right. one example. You mm. know, something that ties into those primal memories and fears. You know, when you suddenly smell tea and socks, you know that somebody's hunting you. <laughs> and you can imagine that, uh, you know, you can imagine that that approach would work especially well in a gaming environment, smelling your enemy as it creeps up behind you. Yeah. Um, and how far away are we to like a, a deliverable product? Centatrix isn't the only company working on this kind of technology. They all seem to be facing similar issues. Size and cost seem to be bedeviling a, a lot of efforts. Mm. Larger systems for theatres are a tough sell because obviously investors are wary of this kind of product because of the history of failure surrounding the idea. Uh, one rival personal system to Centatrix prints the sense onto a, a, a wearable device covered with a filter paper rather than, you know, firing it into the air to avoid overwhelming the, the atmosphere. Right. But there's also that issue of, you know, refilling all the scents. How much can you actually put into a small device? Mm. So you have to balance that with the size of the device, the, the battery life, connecting it to a smartphone. The Centatrix prototype is currently about... 
five centimeters by five centimeters. I, I know that sounds quite small, but you know, as a frame of reference, my index finger is about three centimeters long. So a device of that size would be quite bulky. It'd be quite impractical to wear all of the time. So the company is hoping to shrink it to about the size of a coin before they anticipate having something that's commercially viable. But, you know, it is a really interesting idea and, and area. For sure, it really is. Uh, now, we're going to take a short break. And when we do come back, how exactly does Matt smell? You're tuned in to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Banish feudal mentality. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. Uh, now, we've learned that Matt doesn't have much of a sense of smell. But what about taste? Matt? Well, I don't know how to answer that question without sounding weird. Um, I taste great. Uh, but on that topic, uh, we have a, a story about flavor chemistry. A lot of spirits, whiskies, brandies, etc., are aged for many years in wooden casks of specific materials to develop the flavor that is unique to a particular brand. Mm. Of course, in our instant gratification, always on world, the idea of bottling something and waiting 20 years until it's ready to drink just sounds insane. Mm. You know, 20 years from now, who knows, we might all be simulations inside the internet and have no need of real food and drink. So given what we already know about science and technology, you'd have thought that we should be able to engineer these aged tasting products pretty much overnight. Matt, you're not, you're not trapping me in that web. You know, answer your own rhetorical questions, please. Bad, no fun. Uh, certainly, there there are companies like uh, Endless West in uh, San Francisco. Um, I, I read this in the New Scientist that uh, specialize in what's called, uh, as I said, flavor chemistry, and they claim to be able to do just that—to recreate these complex flavors of aged whiskies and wines and other spirits literally overnight. Ooh. Uh, okay. Before you explain how they do it, maybe uh, we should explain a little bit why that aging process is required and why it's so difficult to replicate. Yeah. In theory, um, if you're not a, you know, a chemist, it sounds as though you should be able to just look at the chemical makeup of something, its constituents, uh, and look at the quantities and just replicate it right mm. we reverse engineer all sorts of things and create artificial flavorings to replicate them but flavor chemistry is notoriously tricky as anyone who has tried one of those horrible scratch and sniff cards we were talking about in the first part is going to tell you so mm. just to to give some additional framing the reason we're using whiskey in this example is because old spirits are incredibly complex uh, in terms of their chemistry. According to Charles Spence at the University of Oxford, mature Scotch whiskies can contain as many as 1,200 different compounds, each helping to shape the character and flavour of the drink. So Spence doubts that uh, you could even isolate, let alone replicate, 
all of those compounds. And it's not just about what compounds are there, it's also about how and when they interact. At which point in that maturation process, the new compounds are added. Mm. So it's very difficult to determine what taste or aroma or combination of the two a particular molecule is going to produce. So this isn't just about drinking and producing something in a short space of time. There is this deeper scientific purpose behind it. Presumably, it is about producing something in a short space of time for companies like Endless West. Yeah, so according to one of the reports I've read, uh, Endless West has raised in the region of uh, $30 million in uh, venture capital. Now, that indicates that investors are taking a fairly sizable bet that the process is possible and that it will appeal to consumers. In a report on the company from uh, The Verge in 2018, it noted that their distillery is very different from a traditional one. They reported the large production facility contained, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, chemists sitting at computers, beakers, gas chromatography, and mass spectrometer machines. The chemists also use a liquid handling robot that's uh, loaded with real wines and spirits, so they measure and map the molecular profiles of those drinks. And they also mention uh, a scanning area that contains an electronic nose to measure olfactory properties. And that's, of course, something that you won't find at most uh, wineries or distillers. But once identified, they can replicate the compounds and add them to grain alcohol and other liquids to recreate that product or, I guess, deviate slightly to come up with something new. And how accurate are reports of the actual product? In the New Scientist report, the testers, who were all writers for the the magazine, were not that pleased with Endless West's product. Mm. But as the writer of the piece acknowledges, and uh, Endless West has also put some research into, how and what we taste can be influenced by external factors, including expectations and environments. As Charles Spence points out to the new scientists, as soon as you know the brand, the price or the method of creation, it tastes different to you. His research has shown that that people think a whiskey tastes different if they drink it in a different setting. So, for example, sitting in a room with more wood in it can make the drink taste woodier as well. Mm. So Endless West reports that in blind tests, the products do well, because in that, those situations, the tasters don't have those same expectations. So um, do we now have to accept then that laboratory-made food and drinks are, are, are simply, they're going to be a greater part of our diet in the future? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, my wife had sausages from one of those well-known meat substitute brands for her breakfast yesterday. Now, a bit too salty for me, but, you know, they really are pretty good. Mm. Uh, We reported, I think, on our last uh, Science is Slick episode about the lab-grown chicken nuggets in Singapore. And I think we will start to see perceptions shift little by little towards these laboratory-made foods. And the products themselves... I think, obviously, they're they're going to improve in their accuracy or similarity over time. Uh, Will we get to the point of having those Star Trek TNG-style replicators in our homes? I don't know, but, you know, I really do hope so, because Mm. then I can order up some socks with a cup of tea. (laughs) All right. Um, On the topic of replication, isn't our next story about breast milk? 
Yes, uh, it is. So, you know, we, like I said, we've chatted a, a little bit recently about laboratory grown and cultured meat and fish production. But one of the applications of this same technology could be to create cultured breast milk. Now, there's a really great story uh, on this on Technology Review's website. Uh, it's called Startups Are Racing to Reproduce uh, Breast Milk in the Lab. It's by Haley Cohen Gilliland. Uh, now, I don't want to get into the whole argument of uh, breast milk versus formula here, but mm. doctors widely agree that if you can, you should, uh, or it's better to breastfeed infants. By and large, it provides them with the best nutrition, uh, but it doesn't actually work out that way for every single mother. A tech startup in the US called Biomilk, they've been developing their product on and off since 2013. Layla Strickland, uh, a co-founder of the current company, was a medical writer with a doctorate in cell biology. And her original inspiration for the idea came from watching a video of Mark Post, a scientist at Maastricht University, who unveiled the world's first cultured hamburger back in 2013. Um, not exactly the most obvious of associations there. But it was for Dr. Strickland. She was one of those mothers who wanted to breastfeed but was having a lot of trouble. And it occurred to her that she could use a similar culturing process to create breast milk. In fact, she had the idea that you could take a sample uh, of a mother-to-be's breast tissue during pregnancy and have her own breast milk ready when the baby is born. So it was something that uh, was originally a, a hobby and then it became a full-time job. You know, life gets in the way and uh, eventually uh, she ran out of money in 2016 before the research and development was uh, complete. But with the growth in the cultured meat sector in the intervening time, especially the investor interest, Dr. Strickland was able to revive the project in 2019 as the company Biomilk and secured funding of three and a half million dollars from a group of investors that's led by Bill Gates. Ah, um, is it more complicated to culture breast milk than say, I don't know, beef? I'm honestly not sure. I mean, I'd have to speak to a, a cell biologist, I guess. So Biomilk is uh, using a mass uh, spectrometry approach to study how the proteins, the uh, oligosaccharides and fats contained in their product compare with the constituents of human milk pumped from a breast. So the science exists, it's well established when it comes to tissue and uh, cell culturing processes. They face a bigger challenge, uh, which I'm quoting from uh, Technology Review here. You know, how do you standardize a substance that's unique to every mother, yeah. especially as breast milk changes in composition as a child grows? It contains different nutrients and levels of fat according to the needs of an infant at different points in their development. That's what I was going to ask. So it has to be a truly tailored and, and unique product, right? Well, yeah. So it seems that Biomilk is working on two approaches. One that is, as you said, truly customized. So it's created for a specific individual. Obviously, that's going to be expensive because you have to do a biopsy and then you have to create and culture the cells from those samples. So they're also working on a more generic version that comes from donor cells, which will still, they maintain, be better than using formula products. And how closely can they uh, replicate it at um, an individual level? Well, the company admits that they can't replicate it entirely. It won't contain all the antibodies and microbes that you'd find in genuine breast milk. But they hope that 
this or theirs rather will be the closest of any of the similar products that's currently in development. Which is my next question. Um, obviously, there's others who will have a, had a similar eureka moment to the founders of Biomilk. Well, yeah, on our doorstep, actually, Turtle Tree Labs in Singapore is taking a similar approach. Now, their goal is actually broader. They're not just looking to corner the market for breast milk, but to compete with all the milk products out there. So potentially in a few years time, that bottle of uh, fresh milk in the supermarket may actually have been made in a, a lab out back of the, frid- the refrigerator rather than from a cow. Also, you know, the company isn't planning to take the formula industry on, but rather they're planning to work with it. It will produce fortifiers that can be added to formula to give their product more of the qualities of breast milk. Uh, we mentioned Singapore and the bioreactor making cultured chicken nuggets. Um, why do you think this technology is so important in Singapore? I mean, uh, this is conjecture here largely on my part, but we've seen, especially over the last 12 months, how important food stability and food security are now Mm. singapore has limited space it has limited natural resources so these cultured products are an ideal way to make the country more self-sufficient in terms of basic food production and it's also a future economic engine so it's a great area to become established in and become a market leader in but there are other ways to culture foods, as we know. One of Biomilk's rivals, Helena, a company based in New York, is experimenting with fermentation using microbes to synthesize breast milk. One of the hopes of the company is that because fermented products like the Impossible Burger have already been approved by the US FDA, that the company will face fewer regulatory hurdles when it comes to manufacturing its breast milk product in a similar way. So is this the future of all our food then? I mean, we've discussed it a lot. Uh, Prepared in labs. I mean, it certainly may be one of the main futures for the production of uh, proteins. You know, the way we consume meat, fish and dairy at the moment is unsustainable. People Mm. are increasingly finding the practices of these industries unpleasant and cruel. And while the source of the coronavirus isn't definite or absolute, it looks quite likely that cross-contamination, contaminated meat products may be, you know, part of the source of uh, of that, those infections. Mm. So we've seen a new coronavirus variant uh, spreading amongst farmed mink, for example, in Scandinavia. So new viruses are a worry. It's not just about containing the ones we have now. So that question, will we get all of our food from a lab? Unlikely, but we need to start looking at new solutions to feed people and to do it safely and sustainably, to develop them and to make sure that those processes are inherently safe as well. So I imagine over the the, the coming decades, more and more of the things we eat are going to come from machinery like bioreactors and fermentation pots. You have been listening to Matt Splained. You can find Matt over on Instagram at Culture Pop and at Culture Matt. You can also head over to culturepop.com where there are transcripts of these shows, articles he's written, and of course, information on the business and consulting side of what Culture Pop does. This has been Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank <laughs> you.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.